gentlemen and welcome to the skywalk podcast it is a beautiful starry saturday today and so why not start off with a third installment of this podcast right come on what better what better time to do it than on the weekend so thank you guys for tuning in if you didn't listen to the previous episodes i would recommend you checking uh those ones out But I am back and solo, unfortunately, once again on this episode, but we will hopefully get my co-host back in soon. Like before, I will go over the rundown of things and then we will jump right into the episode. I do have a couple special announcements in a second though, so get ready for that. I'm so excited. So like always, hello, I'm your resident podcast host, Gavin. And I am an astrophysics major who hopes to pursue a PhD in this field. In my spare time, I do astrophotography and a nerd for all things that are space. And the first of my two announcements is I've just recently, since the last episode came out, gone a job at an observatory. So now I can feel my love for space in all aspects of my life. But that also means I'll be getting more knowledgeable in this field a lot faster. So I can't wait to share that info with you guys. And so you may have also heard me through the other things I do. I run now two other podcasts. There's the other announcement that you should be able to find on whatever platform you are currently listening to this one on. Um, The first one of which is called the Hot Coco Chats podcast, where I run script-free with the guests mostly week by week. I'll hopefully be starting that one back up soon. And we just chit-chat about whatever we want. It's bonkers, it's calming. In the previous episode was my first special guest starring Brad Buell, who you may know who does other uh, stuff on YouTube under the account name Saturday. The second, woo, here we go, the second podcast that I currently run. Um, I'm super excited to tell you about is my new podcast, Dice and Card. It has just been published, the first episode, um, but in that podcast, I have been sent some board and card games from companies that I review and explain the playthrough and my thoughts on the game. Uh, I'm just so excited to finally be getting uh, that one out to you guys. It has been in the works for so long. It's like longer than it really should have been but it's finally out there first episode a couple more episodes are lined up already um so make sure to go check that out and just for a little teaser the first episode was um the red dragon inn by the company slugfest games i have a couple more episodes lined up and those have been sent to me by exploding kittens if you know that company and so uh go check go check that and stay tuned for more episodes i also run my own mostly gaming youtube channel called zombified that's z-o-m-b-e-f-i-e-d i almost forgot how to spell it for those that need the spelling along with the company's social media accounts so make sure to check those out those links will be in the description all right enough about me uh if you want to learn more make sure to go check out the other stuff the youtube is probably the best uh spot to learn that naturally if not uh, tweet at me whatever with your questions wherever you want um but this podcast is all about space 
And so I'll probably stop doing as big of an intro in future episodes. Um, it's still only the first, the, sorry, it's still only the third episode. So for now, I'll still do a little bit of a spiel here, but I will make it quicker. So in the Skywalk podcast, I will spend each episode talking about a different space object. I will go through a couple different categories of information and teach you guys about this object. Every once in a while, though, I will be taking a step back and we'll look at the bigger picture of these objects and I will pick a constellation that I'll talk about. In these special episodes, I will be joined more closely uh, by my good friend, Jillian, uh, who is usually one of the co-hosts on this, but uh, obviously I'm still solo. Uh, But she's our resident astrology uh, person, so she will be very much helping out once we get into constellations, because I am uh, not into astrology, quite honestly. And so along with those episodes, make sure to go follow along uh, with the Twitter, at SkywalkPod, where I'll be posting graphics to go along with what you're listening to, and especially this episode, um, the location for this object is going to be messy to explain, so I would recommend going and checking that out so you can better understand and follow along with what I'm trying to explain. So now that you have a general understanding of how this show is going to run, let's go over quickly again what these Messier objects are. So Charles Messier was a French astronomer born in June 26, 1730, as the 10th of 12 kids. As a young kid, Messier became fascinated with space objects with Um, after a few, like, major space events uh, happened in his town as he was growing up. And so at the age of 21, he joined the French Navy and would eventually begin working at an observatory in Paris. He continued his fascination in comets, eventually getting coined the nickname Comet Ferret uh, from King Louis uh, XV. I think that's how Roman numerals work. In 1758, he noticed a strange cloudy patch in the constellation Taurus while observing a comet, and took note of it to help astronomers not mistaken it for a comet, and started cataloging other comet-like, quote, objects to avoid. Uh, So the object that he saw is known as NGC 1952, NGC being New General Catalog, another way of basically just naming things. Um, But eventually it would become known as Messier 1, or just plainly M1, which that's still the terminology I'll be using throughout this episode for M3. Um, or more commonly known, that first one was the Crab Nebula. Messier died in 1817 and by then had created a list of 103 objects, but the Messier catalog would be revised in the 20th century and going up to a total of 110. I'm still yet to actually look into where they found those seven extra objects, but I will be sure to get that back to you guys when I can. All right, that is the backstory. That's all the information. I was trying to make it a little bit faster for you guys since chances are you heard it in the previous two episodes. And if you haven't, that means you're starting with this episode. And shame on you, go listen to the other ones. Uh, You can obviously listen to this one if you want, but I would recommend listening to the other ones. You get a better backstory um, and kind of see how everything is going to go, especially when I'm talking about these co-hosts. Hopefully everything up to this point, though, did make sense and you're still conscious. If so, thank you. You're a cool person. Go get yourself a cookie for all your great work. And as always, star cookies get bonus points. All right, enough chit chat. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. So today we will be talking about Messier 3 or M3. And it's also like M2, a globular cluster. 
M3 is actually a very important cluster, however. One reason is for the fact that it was found by the Comet Ferret himself. On May 3rd, 1764, Charles Messier mistook this object for a nebula without stars. I don't have the actual quote that he wrote in his journal, but like, yeah, he was pretty adamant in writing um, that it does not have a star. He was saying it's very bright and kind of like dissipates once you go away from the center, but there is no star. However, this uh, was the first object in the Messier catalog to be discovered by Messier himself. The previous two uh, had been previously discovered or seen. This one was by him. So, the correction for what this object is didn't happen until around 1784, about 20 years later, when William Herschel was able to resolve the stars with his now better quality telescope and notice it wasn't a nebula, but actually a cluster of stars or a star cluster, if you will. Now, I will ask you, the audience, did that name and date sound familiar? It should, especially if you've listened to the previous episode. Not only for the fact of the German-British astronomer Herschel, because William Herschel is a very famous astronomer, um, but in the previous episode, he did a very similar thing with M2 uh, in 1783, where he resolved individual stars. So apparently, he loves to just follow whatever Messier's discoveries are, and I mean, I guess technically do it better, but. Uh, I don't know. He likes to copy Messier. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna throw it out there. We're gonna uh, protect our man. And so, after these two astronomers took their crack at the discovering and clarifying what the object is, that's basically where the discovery of this object kind of stops. And so, now we are gonna learn all about this object. So, last time, my definition of a globular cluster was the creation of the universe and the Milky Way. Pretty basic, I didn't have a lot of information. While I'm gonna stick with that definition, I am going to elaborate a little more. One theory about these globular clusters is that because they are so old, which I will talk about later, um, we think these are actually from like near the beginning of the universe, where galaxies weren't really completely a thing and forming yet. Uh, So these are just like high density packets of stars that were floating around, and eventually were picked up by the Milky Way because the Milky Way just travels in space and so do these objects. So the Milky Way picked them up and they now orbit within the Milky Way. Um, I personally like that theory. I think it's really cool. Um, And so I'm going to stick with that one. But I'm sure there's other theories out there as well. So with a right ascension of 13 hours, 42 minutes, 11.62 seconds, and a declination of positive 28 degrees, 22 seconds, 38.2 minutes, and a radius of roughly 90 light years, um, M3 can be found sort of in a no man's land, quite honestly. But technically, it is in Cain's uh, Venati... I can never pronounce this one. Venatici? uh, Venatici? Uh, I'm just going to go Venatici. Venatici, or whatever. Um, So... Constellations are actually sections in the sky, if you guys didn't know that. Um, and within those sections of, of the sky, they have the stick figure constellations that we know. So as an example, Sagittarius will be that teacup shape or teapot shape in the sky. But Sagittarius 
as a whole is actually like a larger area around it um, that apparently astronomers designated is that constellation. So going off of that, it's technically in Keynes V. I'm, that's easier. I'm going to go Keynes V. So if you're to look up at Ursa Major, which in case you guys didn't know, Ursa Major is the Great Bear, which houses the Big Dipper. Um, Ursa Major, is, or the Big Dipper is actually technically not a constellation, but it makes up most and the brightest portions of Ursa Major. So if you look at Ursa Major, when it's upright, so the hand, like the, the we'll go around the Big Dipper if this box is flat and the handle goes up, then to the left, and I guess a little bit up, is the constellation called Boates, who is the herdsman. There's a bunch of lore about that. I won't get into that. A good way to find it is if you use the handle of the Big Dipper, it doesn't matter which orientation, if you use the handle of the Big Dipper and follow the arc that it makes, we'll keep arcing until you find one of the brightest stars in the sky, and that's going to be Arcturus. So arc to Arcturus, easy way to uh, find that. And so Arcturus is basically the point of Boates, which Boates kind of makes up, uh, it almost looks like an ice cream cone. So Arcturus is the bottom point of the cone. In between these constellations, so they're relatively close to each other in the sky, is Cain's uh, V, which its stick figure is literally a stick. I don't understand this one. It's literally two stars with a line in between it, and somehow that's a constellation. I feel like they were probably just trying to find something to fill the gap in the sky, but whatever. I, I didn't create it. So Keynes V is just a stick. Um, but the, air, the radius around it that is technically the constellation is, is huge compared to the stick. I don't, I, again, I don't understand why that is. But that, that stick is in between the bucket and Boatees. So if we use the bottom left star of the bucket of the Big Dipper, if we, because four stars make up the, the bucket of the Big Dipper, so the bottom left, again, if it's upright, if we follow that and make a line between that and Arcturus, which remember the Arcturus is that bright star in Boatees, in, like about halfway in between that is the brighter of the two stars of Cain's V. And halfway in between that star and uh, Arcturus is roughly where M3 is. It's basically right on the line of not being in Boatees. That's that's where it is. I quite honestly even like I'm kind of confused by my definition while looking at it. So I I I, I feel for you guys. I do. I really do. But hopefully that you generally understand at least where it is in the sky. So it's near the Big Dipper and Boatees. But again, if you want to have a better understanding, the images will be on Twitter. So. Towards Keynes uh, V, M3 is just about 34,000 light years away. Remember, light year is a measurement of distance. And so 34,000 light years, not crazy, not necessarily close, but not crazy. What does M3 actually look like? Here we go. Well, uh, quite honestly, uh, while you check out the images, that is also located on uh, Skywalk Podcast on Twitter, uh, you can see the image of it. But M3 looks pretty close to M2, or like, I guess, the untrained and even the trained eye. Uh, this means that it is a giant, magnificent collection of stars in a very small area of the sky. 
as most things in space are. It is very circular shaped. Um, basically it has a center dot and then all directions 360 degrees around it basically pretty much evenly spreads out of stars with the highly compact core almost of the stars in the center. But a better way to imagine it is imagine if you had a sheet of black construction paper, lay it flat on the table, and then sprink, uh, maybe sprinkling is the wrong word, but like pour or drop a bunch of salt in the center and then like don't spread it out, just drop it in the same spot. That is basically what it looks like. And every one of those dots is a star and different colors, again, have different ages. And especially in this object, actually, there are a lot of different colored stars. And speaking of stars, th like this is, this is a big guy. The last one is physically bigger. This one, density is bigger. So it is estimated to have over half a million stars within it. That's over 500,000 stars, in case you needed that reference. So there's definitely, definitely more than a couple in there. M3 has an apparent magnitude of positive 6.2, uh, which again puts it right at the cusp of what the naked eye could see if you're in a super dark sky location with perfect weather. And so remember the human eye, for reference, can see to like around positive six on the magnitude scale. So this is 6.2, very close to being like being able to see it with the naked eye. It might be one of those, look at it with your peripheral vision because the outside of your eyeball, the peripheral actually is better for light sensing. And then the center of your eye is better for color sensing. So I, and actually I'm pretty sure if you go far enough away on, on the peripheral, you actually can't see color at all. This is positive six. The higher the positive the number, the fainter the object is. And so the best and the best viewing time for M3 is during May, the month of May. So once again, I couldn't really find any sort of like cultural representation or history records or anything like that that was significant for M3, probably because it's always been around and it's decently faint. So chances are uh, ancient um, like astronomers and stuff like that if they were able to see it at all just thought it was a star or I guess a nebula as Messier originally thought it was but I won't disappoint you guys I still have a couple facts so M3 is farther from us than our own center of the galaxy which is a little fun fact um, in M3 it has 274 known variable stars, which is much higher, like much higher than any other known globular cluster to have. And so a variable star are like basically just how they sound. From Earth, their brightness and magnitude appear to fluctuate over time. Uh, and how, how often they fluctuate changes depending on the star. Because this can be because of basically two ways one either we think the star is swelling or shrinking physically and so that makes it brighter or smaller or uh like dimmer or there is like space gas and guck all the stuff floating in the in the empty vacuum of space or other astronomical phenomena happening around or in front of it that move that makes it that has it moves and we move all that kind of stuff 
it makes the brightness appear to change. Thirdly, the cluster was the 76th deep sky object ever to be seen by human eyes. Obviously, with the care uh, of a telescope, but that doesn't take away that it was the naked eye. We didn't need uh, photographs to take a photo of it. And so, Messier 3 does seem to be actually relatively important and heavily studied, even in modern day. So like I stated earlier, the cluster has the most variable stars known in a globular cluster. Some of these variable stars were noted that the period of their fluctuation is related to their intrinsic luminosity. Now that is a very big word. That's your vocab word for today, guys. Intrinsic luminosity. I'm not going to get too sciencey uh, during this podcast, but basically intrinsic luminosity is a way to measure the brightness of a star as related to its distance. I actually think it's some sort of squared figure. So using all of this, scientists could figure out the distances of these objects. Because of this, they were they were and are super useful for measuring other deep sky objects' distances since we can compare to compare them to these stars that we know and there's so many different uh, of these variable stars that we have so many different reference points. Globular star clusters are also some of the oldest objects in the observable universe. I told you I'd come back to it, and I did. So here we go. This one in particular is estimated to be 11.4 billion years old. Billion, not million, billion. When we compare this to the age of the universe at roughly 13.8 billion years old, you can really start to grasp how old these clusters are. I think uh, it might be a Messier object, but I think there's some clusters going into the 13 billion year range. So that's under a billion years from the start of the universe. It's insane how old these objects are. But on that note, that is going to wrap up our guide into the magnificent Messier 3 object. I've begun getting really into globular clusters lately, quite honestly. Um, I just find them fascinating scientifically, and also they are very beautiful to look at. I have been fortunate enough to get to look at a lot of globular clusters through telescopes since I've been working at the observatory. A lot of them actually, and specifically, M2 seems to be a favorite. I'm not sure about M3, but I know M2 actually a lot of people reference. So I love globular clusters. They're beautiful to look at, and they really are bright objects. They're not the kind like looking at a planet where they're going to burn your eyeball out if you stare at them too long, but you don't have to strain your eye at all like some nebulas you have to. You have to like really kind of work it to try to see it depending on the telescope and globular clusters are just right there, bam, right there in your face. And some people find really fun ways to uh, describe them, which I'll try to keep keep you guys updated on those as we do more globular clusters because unfortunately we are in a little area of the Messier catalog where there's going to be a lot of globular clusters so I'm going to try to find interesting stuff about them if not I feel like I'll probably end up making those smaller episodes until we can get to more I guess more interesting objects because at the end of the day globular clusters are the same thing 
but some are used for different things. Some are more notable than other things. Some have a couple of stories, um, but there are going to be nebulae and galaxies that we get into. It's just I know the next few are going to be globular clusters, but I won't let you guys down. I'll make it interesting, so bear with me while we get through it because there is going to be like a, a section in the catalog where there's just a ton of nebulae. There's going to be a section where there's tons of galaxies, tons. So be prepared. It will get really interesting soon. Like it was another globular cluster and me talking solo. So hopefully this wasn't too dull of an episode. I'm sorry if it was. But thank you to all of you, the audience, for those that stuck through to the end of this. Um, you know, something I haven't talked about much this episode is the Twitter. Yay! Make sure to go check out Skywalk Pod on Twitter to see the images I talk about in the episode and to stay up to date with the latest and greatest about this podcast and Charles Messier in general. Also, don't forget, I have a new podcast that you should definitely go check out uh, right after this one. Why not? You're already listening to podcast go listen to the new uh dyson cards episode and so that's the first episode where we talk about the red dragon inn by slugfest games not to mention you should also go check out the hot cocoa chats podcast if you want more unscripted banter between people for an hour and lastly don't forget to check out my youtube channel zombified for your gaming fix all right i think that's all the plugs i have to do i do want to hear back from you guys though how is the podcast going? How are you liking it? What are your thoughts on these objects? And specifically, I want to hear what you guys think about Messier 3. Do you like it? Do you not like it? I want, I want to hear what you guys, what objects you like. And then, of course, if you could, it's appreciated to make sure to rate, comment, all that kind of stuff. But anyways, I will see you guys in another episode.